This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey! Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana. 1037 the game. And as always, we are coming to you live, as always, from the beautiful, palatial, dare I say, absolutely opulent 1037 the game studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we certainly are looking good. We are feeling pretty darn good as well. Coming to you live, as always, from the game studios. We appreciate you listening in, however, you're doing so, be it through that tower of power, too sweet to be sour. FM dial, the free mobile app, smart speakers, Windows phone, however you're doing so. We appreciate you doing so on this Saturday morning. And we got a lot of great things to get to on the program today. But we're going to start off with some big news that kind of popped up earlier today before we get into the sports sermon. And that involves what's going on with Brett McMurphy Stadium. He reporting, he was the first one to report this, the Mac, the Maction is no more. The day the Maction died was today. They have canceled football this fall. I think it very well have an effect throughout college football, according to sources from him. But they canceled fall football season due to COVID-19 player health and safety concerns, sources told them. And the MAC took a huge financial hit when Power Fives cut non-conference games and intends to try and play in the spring. And then the Big Ten looked like they were going to cancel the 2020 football season as well. But... They wound up announcing today, based on the advice and counsel of the Big Ten Task Force for Emerging Infectious Diseases and the Big Ten Sports Medicine Committee, that until further notice, all institutions will remain in the first two days of the acclimatization period in football. Basically, helmets shall be the only piece of protective equipment student-athletes may wear. I know the Cajuns are out there doing that. The first day of practice was interesting, to say the least. But that's going to be kind of where it's at right now. According to this, they're going to say all other fall sports will continue to work locally with team physicians and athletic trainers to adjust the practices to the appropriate levels of activity as necessary based on current medical protocols. Now, it's all going to be interesting to see what's going to happen going forward for that. Now, we're going to get to the fun stuff here because I think this is definitely the biggest thing going on in sports this week. I know we heard Louis Prejean talk about a lot. I'd say I didn't listen to the whole show, but I'm almost certain at least 90% of it was Pelicans-oriented, especially in that first hour. Now, I want to take it in a different perspective because, honestly, I think it's time to talk about that big elephant in the room and what's causing all this on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, depending on who you are. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. 
I really want to be as positive as Lewis is. Lewis is probably the ray of sunshine in this studio. Talking about every angle of that game, down to what kind of shoes Alvin Gentry was wearing on the court last night. They got a win. It was great. But I want to get in my Pelican thoughts and a lot more about me saying that I was wrong to believe the hype of one photo of, with Zion Williamson looking like a WWE superstar that Vince McMahon would drool over and try and push to the moon as a top star. I was wrong to think that that photo was real. I was wrong to think that the Pelicans could go 6-2. and two. I was dead wrong about that. And while, yes, the Pelicans getting their second win in the bubble technically means they're still in it and have a chance, but I'm starting to feel like it's one of those Lloyd Christmases one in a million chances. Are you saying there's a chance? I sit here saying right now, August 8, 2020, that there is no chance that the Pels get into that play-in game because of the fact they are one and a half games back of that spot. But you've got to be hoping things happen. You, you've got to be hoping it's hope that the Portland Trailblazers, the Memphis Grizzlies, they struggle in their final few games of the seeding schedule. The Blazers have the Clippers in an hour, but they don't have their starting lineup in terms of the Clippers. So that on paper, that's a win. To me, there's too many things you have to hope happen for the Pelicans to get into that spot. You also got to keep an eye on the Spurs, the Suns, on top of those other two teams that I just mentioned because of the fact you just gave up on that game on Thursday afternoon. The Kings had a franchise record 49 points in the first quarter. Heading into that game, they averaged 26.7 points in the first quarter. Credit the team rankings for that one. If you want to be in the conversation of the nine seed, you cannot, and I repeat, cannot do that. They had a golden opportunity to get closer and build momentum towards getting that into that spot. Because, yes, you were going to lose to the Clippers. Yes, you were going to lose to the Jazz. I told you that last week. That was inevitable. But now we sit here after the loss to the Sacramento Kings, Jabronis, team that was, in my mind, happy to be there. You can't do that. Now 6-2 and two is going. You've got to go 5-3 and three and hope for a lot of other things to happen. And just one time, I'd love to see a Pelicans franchise not ruin a good thing they have. But it continues to be. And I said a couple weeks ago, before the bubble began, and this is another thing where I was wrong, that I thought David Griffin would give him the benefit of the doubt, and him meaning Alvin Gentry, but I'm starting to go to the other side of the spectrum again, and this has also been something I said in the past. It may be hedging bets, but it may be also me reacting to certain things. Because, again, a 82-game season, an NBA schedule, it's a lot like what's going on right now with COVID-19. you got to wait and see before you make your final decisions. But when it comes down to it, David Griffin's got one decision, to fire Alvin Gentry. The experiment needs to end and end after the exit of the bubble. In fact, leave him in the bubble like the USC Trojans left Lane Kiffin at the tarmac. The defensive performances haven't been enough to keep up with that pace. The Pels love to play. And that's my biggest issue when it comes to Alvin Gentry in terms of his coaching style. You can't make the Pelicans into the Golden State Warriors. I know that's what he wants to do because that's what he loves to do and play offense. But if your defense can't keep up and you're pounding the over in a lot of these games, you're allowing teams to put up 100 points all throughout this time in the bubble, except for one time when you were able to kind of hold down a really mediocre team to 99 points in that third game to wind up getting your first win. 
Now they're sitting there two and three inside the bubble. They've got to wind up getting some good things going, but it's not going to be good. The defensive performances haven't been great. You can't waste another talent like Zion Williamson. And I'll say this, if they do waste him and he joins a super team, I am done with this franchise forever. I want to see the Pels succeed, but they continue, and I mean continue, to shoot themselves in the foot. You cannot and will not succeed with Alvin Gentry's type of play. The pace of play thing I have been a fan of for a long time. I can't stand it, but lo and behold, we keep seeing it. It's time to move on. His resume spoke for itself. Get Kenny Atkinson. He was a damn good coach that was led go by the Brooklyn Nets, and I think they're going to wind up regretting it. And I think David Griffith, if he doesn't let him go this season, he is going to wind up regretting a lot of different things way down the road. He's going to regret ever, and I mean ever, keeping Alvin Gentry around. Because if he doesn't fire him and try and find somebody that could wind up doing a better job, and I think Kenny Atkinson might be that guy. He's going to look about as incompetent as that old GM that the Pels had in Dell Dimps. And Dell Dimps was an absolute jamoke running that franchise into the ground. And maybe a big reason why we saw Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, all these guys go the way of the Dodo Bird. That's not even including guys like Tyreek Evans, whose knee basically became gravy after all the running hard they had him do. I'm not going to imagine what a big guy like Zion Williamson could do with a team if he could keep his weight under control. That's another big thing, you know? Can't play a back-to-back, but he played a back-to-back before the pandemic started. So I'm just sitting here wondering what the heck is going on right here, right now, in terms of the future of the New Orleans Pelicans. This is going to be a big year. Get rid of a lot of those cogs that weren't necessarily stepping their game up. Alonzo Ball can't shoot a... Who can't shoot a basket to save his life right now. So I'd say tell him to hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more. The defense needs to set their game up. They almost blew their lead that they built in that third quarter. They were dominant in the third quarter last night against the Washington Wizards, but the Washington Wizards didn't have their two best players. They had relative jabronis. It's time for a new era of the Pelicans, and I'm not talking about getting those lottery picks. I'm not talking about securing a decent pick from trades or what have you. I'm saying it's time for a new head coach. It's time to make a decision for your future. A lot like what you did. It was a tough decision to let Monty Williams go, but it was past time for him to be let go, and look what he's doing with the Suns now. I'm happy for Monty, but I think it's time to see what somebody else can do running that franchise as the head coach. And I'd say the first name that I can think of, I think it's what a lot of people are talking about, and that is... Our guy, Kenny Atkinson, a guy who I think the Nets are going to regret letting go. So we'll see what happens there. Best of luck to him the rest of the way. But for me, it's an uphill climb. We got a great show for you coming up today because we got a lot of things to talk about. We got the Cajuns to talk about. And and trust me, we got a lot of things going on with the Cajuns. What's going to happen there? And, you know, we can talk about what's going on with college football and the State of the Union right now, and there's a lot of different storylines regarding that, but I won't get into those things. I want to try and keep this as much as, you know, neutral as possible, not talk, not getting negative in terms of, oh, hey, you know, college football might not happen. 
Is there are some reports coming out from folks like Pat Forty who love to do the clickbait articles and the clickbait tweets and everything in between. We'll save that for another day because I'm in a damn good mood because we get because on Thursday talked with Billy. They had a conversation with Billy Napier through Zoom. Had all those all those Zoom calls with the Cajuns players. We had to see photos and video from Cajuns practice last night. Tell me that does that doesn't get you hyped up because you know that it's there. There's something going on in terms of college football. That's awesome. We'll also talk about a little MLB with Ian Castleberry at 10.30. Basically, both my guests are at the bottom of each hour at 11.30. Excuse me. I'm so used. I'm still trying to get used to the 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. time slot, the change that we've had. We'll be debuting a new segment at the end of the one at the end of the 11 o'clock hour. And then at the 12 o'clock hour, 12.30, Ross Jackson, Canal Street Chronicles, Locked on Saints podcast. We'll talk to him about those New Orleans Saints. And a whole lot more. We'll also talk a little bit about the SEC scheduling in the 12 o'clock hour. High noon. We'll get to that. And consider this your challenge. 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about anything, and I mean anything, we got it wide open for you. Except for obviously 1030, uh, excuse me, 1130 and 1230. Again, still trying to get used to to the fact that I am on from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. I have to kind of get that ingrained because, in fact, when I'm trying to book guests, I'm immediately putting, like, hey, can I have you on at 10.30? Can I have you on at 11.30? I'm like, I got to remember, 11.30, 12.30 is when I want guests. That's how I kind of roll things. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout before I bore you with any more inside baseball talk because I know not everybody wants to hear that kind of stuff. They want to hear sports talk, and I'm going to get to it next because there was some news coming out yesterday involving the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and a team up north that I think might interest you. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia Sports Station 103.7 The Game. 1037thegame.com, 337-706-0111 is the number to call if you want to get in on the conversation. But right now we got somebody on the game hotline who to thunk it. We got a special guest aboard the program. Was trying to get him on for a little bit longer, but, you know, I decided, you know, it's his birthday. Why not let him relax and enjoy himself? And that is the dear old dad. I'd say the famous Dwayne D. We got him inside the game hotline. What's going on, Dad? Not too much of yourself, sir. I'm doing good, doing good. I mean, obviously, you're turning 60 today. It's absolutely amazing. And you're probably out there enjoying yourself. I'm sure I'm sure you got a cold one ready to go, huh? Just about. <laughs> but, you know, man, it's like it's, it's, it's just wild to kind of think about, like, how much you've seen over the years. It's 60 years old today. You know, and obviously we're doing the Acadiana Legends of the Fall brought to you by Stan's Auto Center right now. 
and we're in the finals. Jake, excuse me, Kevin Falk taking on a number, fellow number one seed, early Doucette. But I just want to get your thoughts. Who's the best player that you saw back in the day when you were in high school at the Acadia and I? Hmm. Well, I've seen Hector play, and i also seen uh, – we had a running back at Acadiana back then. His name was Junior Doral, who went on to play at LSU. He was a real good uh, high school uh, football player. And, uh, of course, the two Cavalier boys at Acadiana were real, were real good. One went on to play college baseball for the Cajuns. So that's, you know, then uh, in 78 when I graduated, we had uh, – made the semifinals in a tough defeat to Bonneville, whose quarterback went on to play at Alabama as a defensive back. Uh, I'm losing, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, he was a, he was a great athlete. He definitely was. And you know, we, we always hear whenever Jordy does his show, the on this day in sports history and the birthdays, obviously it's your birthday. So why don't I have a little fun with this? And you know, I'm going to throw just the biggest one out there that I think you and maybe the listeners would know as well. You share a birthday with Roger Federer, who was born on this day in 1981. And oh, Robert Randolph as well. You share a birthday with him. So how about that? That's wonderful. <laughs> exactly. But we, I appreciate you coming on the show for, for for a little bit, my man. We'll talk to you down the road, man. Okay, man. We'll uh, talk to you later. All right. And that was my dad. It's his 60th birthday today, so happy birthday to I guess we can call him the famous Dwayne D. We can actually put him into the, the multiverse that is under the dome with CD along with all the other different gimmicks that we have here on Acadiana's Sports Station. You can call us up, 337-706-0111. And, you know, I usually try and map out the show the day before. I usually, I'm going to go a little kay, break a little kayfabe here and say the day before, I usually map out the show in some cases the night before. And I usually have the roadmap set up well before. And then some news came out from Arkansas South. Yeah, I'm just throwing a little shade there. And it, for once, it interested me because of what they decided to do concerning schedule vacancies since Conference USA and the Sun Belt, unlike, and also, as well as most of the Group of Five conferences, they are going to stick with a 12-game schedule. If you can schedule 12 games, obviously some games are going to get vacated. I think Wyoming could be getting vacated down the road. Because they're going to go to a, I think, 10 plus 1, I believe, type schedule, if I'm not mistaken. So you got that going on the mountain and out in the Mountain West Conference. And then New Mexico State's an independent. You don't know what the hell they're going to do. But I'm sure, you know, Billy Napier and crew and maybe Dr. Brian Magger in terms of saving money isn't going to want to have this game against a New Mexico State team out in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which isn't too far from truth or consequences, New Mexico. But it's interesting to me to see what's going on because it feels like right now it's a laissez-faire type setup. If you have a team, if you need to fill a hole and schedule team, go for it. Just do it. So what Louisiana Tech and UL Monroe did was put their differences aside for a brief moment and made an agreement to play each other in Shreveport. Now, it's huge to see this happen, first of all. It's the first time these two teams played since the year 2000, that was back when Luke McCown was on the Bulldogs roster and had a pretty decent year. But there are two reasons why I feel like, you know, I'm, that why this happened. The obvious one is that both teams have about an hour and a half drive. However, I think there may be a little bit more meat on the bone here. And you can try and change my mind on this, 337-706-0111. But I'm of the belief 
that Tommy McClellan is booking this game as an easy win. Now, this game is going to be played during that time whenever the Cajuns were supposed to play Mizzou. Obviously, the Mizzou game has since been canceled. ULM follows the same situation. Right here, right now, it's the only game that's been canceled. Now, what's going to happen with Wyoming and New Mexico State? Is any your guess as good as mine? Right here, right now, McNeese, that feels like that is going to happen. Now, if it does happen, it's a whole different conversation because right now, supposedly, they're not playing. They're not practicing right now, but they were. It's all kinds of confusing. I'm not going to get into all that. But I believe A.D. Tom McClellan is booking this as an easy win. He is ducking the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And I think a big reason why is because whenever they play the Cajuns, it's when the Bulldogs are really good. You know, the last time these two teams played was back not too far not too far back in the memory banks. 2014-2015 got housed both times by La Tech. Shout out to Kenneth Dixon, who was an absolute beast for La Tech. I remember seeing him torching the Cajun defense in 2014, running for 99 yards on a single play, and then seeing La Tech do the same thing 43 to 14 at a watch party we had with Chet, Ben, and his now wife, Jen. Hey, that kind of rhymed. And the last time the Cajuns beat the Bulldogs was back when Jake DeLone was donning the Vermilion White, back in 1996. That is a long time ago. And I think that's a big reason why we don't see the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and La Tech play all that often. I think, you know, 80 Tom McClellan has been out there anti Sunbelt Conference CUSA merger. He's, he's against that expansion to let the Cajuns in or let you and Monroe in or be a merger of the Conference USA and the Sun Belt just to save both of those programs' hides. That's fine. It's his opinion. But I think this is him basically saying he knows that the Cajuns could probably beat him because he's going to be playing the best Raging Cajuns team in program history. Skip Holtz knows he can't beat the Cajuns this year, so he's not even going to try. La Tech wants to be opportunistic and try and play the jabronis to fill those spots so they can get wins on the board. Yes, you're right. They're going to be playing some jabronis. Yul Monroe ain't going to be that good this year in my mind. I think Yul Monroe is going to struggle, and they'll go back towards kind of the bottom feeders of the Sunbelt Conference, and that's not considering the fact that they don't make a whole lot of money to begin with. They don't have, have hardly any fans that show up there. And by the way, there was – I'm going to hold my tongue on what I was going to say, but – in all honesty, the Cajuns should still be trying to hit him up. If I were Dr. Brian Maggard, and I'm not, but I would definitely be trying to call up three schools right off the bat. And here's the three schools right now. La Tech, Southern Miss, and Houston. I'd call those three teams up right away. Those are about three-hour drives from Lafayette to Hattiesburg to Ruston to Houston. Maybe, maybe about four hours, considering what kind of traffic you have. But also, you got to think the fact maybe even Tulane. Tulane should be like their fourth team that you just call immediately and be like, hey, let's try and get this thing going. Let's try and arrange this to where we can fill our other two conference games with Wyoming and New Mexico State. That could not happen. That could very well not happen, I should say. Because, again, Wyoming and New Mexico State feel like a no-go. I call those up. And then, obviously, you try and call everybody else after that. Nickel State, Southeastern, Northwestern State, and the other FCS programs that could very well still be playing. It's all interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens with those because I think I saw it wasn't the Big Sky, but it was some, uh, some other like smaller conference. I'm trying to remember what conference it was in the FCS that basically said, "Hey, you know, if y'all want to play some non-conference games, fine by me. Go ahead. We're just gonna be playing in the in the spring 
the regular season. I believe the Southland might be following suit there. We haven't heard anything just yet from that. But, again, this will be an interesting conversation to have, having La Tech, Southern Miss, Houston try and fill those up with really good games. Because if you go 12-0 and and you play these little bitties, that's going to be uphill climb, and that is going to be an absolute struggle for you to set up down the road. And I think it's going to be fun to see, you know, being able to put those games on the schedule, you know, be it, you know, having to travel to Ruston, having to travel to Tulane, having to travel to Houston, or whatever. Like, you're, you're going to have to travel to at least one, maybe two of those games. Hosting Southern Miss would be really cool. I would love to see that. Not mind you, how many fans you could have in the stands. Your guess is as good as mine. I know I was seeing something through the interwebs that apparently the Cajuns are going to go 50% attendance. That is, if we can get into Phase 3. Now you can make your 50% attendance jokes all you want. I'm not going to do that on this show. I'm trying to be a little bit more awesome when it comes to, like, be nice when it comes to the Cajuns. I have respect for the program, and Billy Napier's been putting together some awesome stuff. And I'll get to that in hour number two. But right now, it just feels like the MLB continues to be pushing forward. And we'll talk about that in just a few. We'll talk about what's going on with the MLB and also the Miami Marlins. We talk with Ian Castleberry next right here on 103.7 The Game. You're listening to Under the Dome with yours truly, the famous CD. Back after this. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. And now we go over to the game hotline. We're going to go all the way out to Asheville, North Carolina, home near near Tar Heel Nation, a.k.a. I should, I should say Flair Country out in North Carolina. Get to our next guest. He's on the game hotline. Ian Castleberry, part of Off Announcing the Comeback. Writes a lot of MLB stuff, so I love having him on. Talk a little Major League Baseball. Now that we actually have Major League Baseball in our lives, we still have it as of right now. I haven't seen anything new yet in terms of if that's changing. Right now, we're going to get to that right now. Ian, what's going on, amigo? Hey, Clint. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate you coming on the program on this wonderful Saturday afternoon. The fact we have sports back in our lives. First things first, when it comes to the MLB, how, how wild is it that – all of what's going on in the last like two weeks, we've had COVID outbreaks with the Miami Marlins, and you know the obviously what's going on with the Cards. But we also have the fact that the Marlins are currently leading the division right now. That's that's the nuts part of all this. Yeah, I mean, you would think uh, this whole thing the Marlins were the punching bag of baseball, maybe the punching bag of sports for a little while for this uh, COVID nineteen outbreak that they had uh, on their team. But uh, and you would think you know for, for a team. Uh, a young team, maybe that that wasn't quite playing well, uh, out of the shoot to, to have a, an extended break like that would have been bad. But that seems to have really uh, energized them, and maybe the fact that they were a punching bag kind of uh, galvanized them, you know, uh, an us against the world 
sort of thing. But it's amazing because you look at this Marlins roster, and there are very few recognizable names uh, on that roster, either in the lineup or the pitching rotation or bullpen. Uh, but they're getting timely hits, and they're getting good pitching. I think it's not really a coincidence that if you look at the MLB standings right now, the teams that are getting good bullpen pitching especially are the ones succeeding, the Cubs being an obvious exception there, and that's something that they will have to address. But I think maybe having a younger team that didn't have any expectations that had been a punching bag uh, you know, they do have a, a couple of other uh, veterans. I think a, a team like the Marlins can take advantage of uh, a free agent market that really devalues uh, veteran hitters over the age of 30, and that allowed them to add players like Francisco Cervelli, Corey Dickerson, uh, at a bargain price uh, that, that normally they may not have been able to afford. But that mix of the veteran players along with the young uh, talent that uh, just doesn't really seem to know any better. Uh, here they are playing really well uh, in what I viewed uh, as the toughest division in Major League Baseball in the National League East. But you, know, you look at uh, the Phillies, uh, the Mets, uh, the Nationals especially, uh, playing below expectations, and the Marlins uh, have capitalized. And you bring up the – I mean, we, we're talking about the Marlins. And they had, like, this is the part that really weirds me out is, like, we talk about all this taxi squad stuff. We have Eddie Alvarez out there. A former Olympic speed skater is on this team and succeeding. I think that's the, that's the craziest part of the Marlins' 2020 season because it feels like right now Derek Jeter has to be feeling like Rachel Phelps in Major League whenever the Indians started winning. <laughs> That's right. Uh, hopefully there's not like a cutout in the Marlins locker room uh, with uh, <laughs> taking, taking uh, pieces of clothing off a cutout of, of Derek Jeter. <laughs> I, I, one thing you do have to look at with the Marlins, and, and I agree, I mean, they, they've been a great story, and that Eddie Alvarez story uh, is tremendous. But uh, the, the Marlins also, I think, are taking advantage so far. Uh, you know, they have, have had several games postponed because of their COVID outbreak. But, you know, this success of theirs has happened against uh, an underperforming Phillies team, uh, a terrible Baltimore Orioles team, another underperforming team in the Mets. You wonder, though, once their schedule starts to ramp up, not just in making up the games that, that they missed, but, you know, you have uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Atlanta Braves, uh, the Nationals coming up on their schedule. Uh, they're going to have to play the Rays. Uh, once they start playing better competition, are, are the are the Marlins going to continue to succeed, or are they taking advantage of a relatively soft schedule right now? Talk right now, Ian Castleberry talking some MLB right now. There's been a lot of things going on with Major League Baseball, and I think one of the things that happened last week that wound up getting a lot of conversation going on my social media was what happened with Joe Kelly throwing at Alex Bregman a 3-0 pitch and him getting suspended for eight games. What Do you think the eight games was justified? Uh, no, it was, it was certainly harsh if you look at a 60-game season. I think that, that eight games uh, does seem excessively harsh. I think what that would have worked out to, what, like a 22 uh, or 23-game suspension. Uh, so, so maybe a little bit harsh, but I think Joe Kelly had some things working against him. Number one, he has a reputation of, of uh, throwing at batters and, being, and having control issues. But I think 
Major League Baseball Commissioner Rod Manfred, they looked at Joe Kelly and the way he acted after throwing uh, at Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa, you know, making the faces uh, or saying, you know, nice swing, expletive, uh, and, and showing that it clearly was an intentional situation. This wasn't, you know, even if he claimed, oh, a pitch got away from me, you look at how Kelly behaved and, and you know, making faces at Correa, acting like he was crying and so forth. I think that Kelly's uh, reputation, and I think Major League Baseball also really wanted to send a message that, okay, we know everybody's mad at the Astros for the science-stealing scandal, but we're not going to tolerate pitchers continually throwing at those Astros batters, uh, you know, take care of it on the field, beat them, uh, but don't don't try and uh, enact any sort of uh, frontier baseball justice by throwing at them, especially when you have a situation like Kelly throwing at Bregman's head. I mean, you, you know, if you want to throw at somebody, hit them, you know, in the torso, below the waist, but anytime you're aiming above the shoulders, uh, it was just such a dangerous situation, and, and I think uh, Major League Baseball really just wants to clamp down on that, and they made an example out of Joe Kelly. I'd have to agree with you there, Ian. And, you know, lo- looking at the Astros, this is a hole right now. It feels like since the Justin Verlander injury, we've seen a guy like Christian Javier step up, and Ole Paredes has stepped up quite a bit in the bullpen. But outside that, the pitching staff has been, relatively speaking, bare bones. Oh, they've just been decimated by injuries here. Of course, you mentioned Verlander, B.A.G., and now they're going to lose Roberto Ozuna. You do wonder, and I'm sure you've talked about this, and listeners have talked about the fact that maybe something happened with you know, the fact that the shortened season and having to ramp up again for summer camp after spring training, you know, did the Astros – maybe try to ramp it up a, a little bit too fast, and that's why they're suffering these injuries. Uh, it, it is bare bones. They're getting good uh, bullpen uh, pitching right now, but you do wonder, especially in such a sh- short season, depth is really going to be tested, and especially with the uh, the hot start that the Oakland A's have gotten off to, uh, you know, can, can the Astros just, just kind of tuck this through and so some of the if, – if they have guys uh, coming back or, or, or other guys uh, off the taxi squad to develop uh, and run, uh, the Astros will certainly benefit by all second-place teams making the postseason this year. And, again, they, they, they have to finish uh, with, with one of the top two records after those, you know, two, the top two teams in each division qualify for, for uh, the postseason. So I think they're still in a good position – uh, for uh, for making the postseason, I, I think maybe uh, the surprise is that the Angels are going to kind of have to uh, wrestle with the Angels uh, for that uh, second spot in the AL West or or that uh, one of those two wild card positions. Uh, I think also, but I do think the Astros have somewhat benefited by the Rangers uh, being really one of the disappointments uh, of this early season so far, as well as the Mariners. So so those are two teams uh, that the Astros can beat up on still with an outstanding lineup, still with good starting pitching, you know, with Zach Greinke, with Lance McCullers, uh, as you mentioned. But uh, certainly the, those early injuries are, are a huge blow for Houston. So what you're saying is business as usual when it comes to playing the Texas Rangers than the Seattle Mariners. Cause we, like, it's just been <laughs> every time the Astros play the Mariners or the Rangers, it's going to be an absolute blowout. 
Yeah, yeah, they, they, they can uh, take advantage of, of the, those bottom two teams in their division. I think also uh, in the NL West, you know, matched up again. You know, they'll also be able to beat up on the Giants and the D-backs, who have also been a disappointment. You know, we'll see if the Rockies are for real at ten and three right now. They're certainly playing impressively, but you know, between playing Oakland in their own division and then uh, matched up against the NL West, having to play the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, that's not going to be easy, but you know, if in baseball, if you beat the teams you're supposed to beat and then play, you know, relatively well, maybe 500 against the other really good teams. I mean, that that's a formula toward uh, winning baseball and getting to the postseason. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens with the with the way the MLB's looking right now. And obviously, we're only a couple weeks into this 60 game season, the shotgun season. What's been your biggest takeaway from the two weeks you've seen so far? Uh, I think uh, just uh, there haven't been that many surprises. I think the teams that we thought were going to play well uh, have generally done so. The Yankees, the Twins, uh, the A's, uh, certainly the Marlins have been a surprise. Uh, The Padres maybe have emerged as a surprise uh, contender. Uh, I I like the White Sox going into the season, and, and they've Played well so far. I think, uh, yeah, I think the injuries so far have been uh, one of the big takeaways. Uh, depth is going to be so important. And if a team like the Astros has the pitching uh, to withstand those injuries, uh, we're going to see what happens with the Dodgers. You know, Corey Seager uh, getting injured last night. If he's out for an extended period of time, uh, the Dodgers have maybe more depth than anybody in Major League Baseball. So they'll probably be able to. Uh, withstand a, a big injury like that, which would be devastating for any other team. Uh, I, I think the Cubs are the most intriguing team thus far. Uh, whether or not they, they played up to expectations, uh, I guess it depends on, on what you thought of them going into the season. But they, they're 10 and 3, and they have played well despite abysmal pitching from their bullpen. I mean, they are. Uh, 28 out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball with a 7.30 ERA out of the bullpen. Craig Kimbrell looks just absolutely lost. The, the trade deadline uh, is is at the end of this month, August 31st, and and it might come down to who is able to make a, a, an impact move in a short season. Are the Cubs going to be able to get a closer or bullpen help? You know, will the Dodgers be able to to upgrade at catcher? You could put the the, the Padres in that situation as well. Will the Astros make a move maybe for, for a starting pitcher? Uh, in such a short time, it's hard to see for, for teams to determine, you know, what they have. Uh, usually, you know, you would wait 40, maybe even 80 games to see uh, what a team needs. And in this shortened season, that timetable has just really been shortened. Usually, you know, now after 15 games, I think uh, we have an idea of who the best teams are in Major League Baseball, but the timetable has just been severely truncated here. Ian, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road, hopefully once we get closer to seeing what the season could look like and if the season continues going forward. I mean, obviously right now the cases have been largely isolated, but who knows what could change in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think the the question is whether or not this is isolated among the Marlins, among the Cardinals, or, or if it starts to uh, break out uh, on uh, another not, in another division. You know, is this going to happen out west? Or could, could this happen in another division? 
we're getting to the point where it's going to be impossible to make up these games. You can only play so many doubleheaders. You know, you can only make up so many games at the end of what was already a very tight schedule. So I think if there is another outbreak, uh, it looks like Major League Baseball has been able to withstand this, but another outbreak really could be uh, the death blow for the 2020 season. Ian, thank you again, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Clint. All right, that was Ian Castleberry. You can follow him, follow him on Twitter at Ian Cass. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Come back. we got a whole lot more to get to. Wrapping up hour number one. we got a new segment coming up, but I'll give you some details. Just this came out concerning a current LSU player opting out. We'll come back with that next on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. And before I get to the brand new little gimmick we're going to do, because I saw some news kind of break over the last 10 minutes or so, and that involves a projected LSU defensive end, a projected starter, I should say. Neil Farrell has opted out of the 2020 season. Mentioned his family was hit hard by COVID-19. This is coming from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. And he plans to return to the team next season. So that's going to be a huge loss for LSU's defensive line. Losing a guy like Neil Farrell, it is wild to see that kind of come through the headlines over the last 10 minutes. In fact, during that Ian Castleberry interview, I was trying to figure out a way to kind of bring that into the conversation, decide to save it to open up this segment as we near the end of our number two. But now it's time for a brand new segment that I like to call Hit the Bricks. There's a lot of things that frustrates the famous CD on a daily basis. I got a lot of problems with you people. Let's let the man breathe and tell you what needs to hit the bricks. And there's a lot of things that need to hit the bricks right here, right now. And the first thing that needs to hit the bricks involves the MLB, because I feel like that's definitely where a lot of my frustrations lie it's the fact that I think the experiment is over and the cutouts are in the stands. They need to absolutely hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. They need to hit the bricks, bottom line. Seeing the players sitting in the same general area as those cardboard cutouts is ridiculous. It's got to go. In fact, I saw one get hit in the face last night. I think that cardboard cutout should have had its hands up so cardboard cutouts can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. And then, y'all, I got to bring up another thing. This is more personal to me. Servers going into maintenance mode can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. This is more of a me gripe than anything because I've been enjoying this new game called Fall Guys during times when I'm not watching sports, which is basically like any time of day that I'm not like sports is going on because I'm not normally watching these hot take shows. But why can't we have consistent servers on the Internet? They're, they've been down for the last few days during peak hours of playtime, and now they've started to open back up as the weekend officially begins. But still, get it right the first time. Servers going into maintenance to make sure that players can get in, hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. And then another thing I need to bring up, the Astros' bullpen late in the game can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. The bullpen is probably the biggest issue for the Houston Astros. I'll use the last two games as a reference. Brandon Belock looked great in his first start, five shutout innings. 
And then out of nowhere, Cy Steed just decides, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and be a jabroni and allow three runs. Zach Grinke last night puts together six solid innings and only walked one better than Josh James decided to let the A's back into the ball game for the bullpen after they demoted him to be a start to be to the bullpen or the week because he wasn't good enough as a starter. And the A's to get right back into the ball game to hold him down. And only Paredes gets a pass, but everybody else can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. And then I've also got to bring up the extra innings Astros games. Those can 100% hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. Since last Wednesday, the Astros have been in four extra inning games. They've only won one of those. Thanks, Angels, for the freebie. But the fact that they have all gone well past the midnight hour is more than enough reason for me to say extra inning Astros games hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. And the one I got one more thing for you. Pelicans defense can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. The Pelicans defense can get out of here. They even pop on the bubble. Wizards, without their best player starting, were hot from the field to start that game last night. Only one game they've allowed less than 100 points, and that's not going to win basketball games, so hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. I got one more. Tiger Woods can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. The big cat just can't get it done anymore. I was blown away at the fact that he still made the cut in the PGA Championship. Round three He's about to get his underway right now. And Tiger is just not the same guy that we saw in the Masters last year. I think this was, that was his last hurrah. That was his last dance. I hope it's not, but it might be time and past time for him to hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. And that's going to about do it for our number one of Under the Dome with CD. And we are more than looking forward to our number two, Ross Jackson, Canal Street Chronicles, and all in Locked On Saints podcast. We'll talk to him about what's causing all this in terms of the New Orleans Saints, neck of the woods, and a whole lot more. But we'll open up hour two of two, talking a little bit of those Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And we talking, not practice, but we talking expectations next, right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome everybody. Good afternoon. Under the Dome with CD Hour, number two of two is now officially underway. We're taking you into the afternoon as your weekend officially is getting kick-started. The PGA Championship going on right now. Get a quick update before we get into some of the conversation concerning those New or- those Louisiana Raging Cages, I should say. I want to say New Orleans Saints, but we'll get that at the bottom of this hour. Ross Jackson, All Saints, con- excuse me, Canal Street Chronicles, still trying to get used to that. Canal Street Chronicles, Locked on Saints podcast. We'll talk to him about a lot of different things involving those Saints. But right here, right now, it's definitely a interesting start to 
the PGA Championship, getting underway right now at Harding Park. Currently, Lee is actually in the lead at eight under. He's be teeing off around five o'clock. Then you got Justin Day at six under. Justin Thomas apparently is catching fire right now, early on in round number three. In fact, he is tied for 16th right now. Today he is minus four through six holes, three under overall. So he's definitely kind of catch. He definitely is in fuego right now. So hopefully we see him step his game up and get things done in a big way when it comes to setting yourself up for a lot of success in that PGA Championship during these next two rounds. Tiger Woods, as I mentioned earlier, he can hit the bricks. He can get out of here because he is definitely kind of nearing the end of his time as one of the top dogs in the sport of golf. But we'll definitely save some of the golf talk for later. But right now I want to get to stuff to open up the second hour concerning expectations. And the, the great expectations a lot of us have for the college football season, if it happens, right here, right now, I think there's a lot of different expectations for LSU. But I want to stick with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for a little bit because we were able to talk with them earlier in the week, and I was glad with the fact that conference calls are back, and I was able to talk for a little while with Levi Lewis, quarterback for the Cajuns, heading into his senior season. And, you know, for the last few days, one of the big things that I took away from those first of many Zoom calls, besides the fact that apparently bandwidth is still an issue when you have fiber internet, you know, it is what it is, is that this team is well aware of the expectations they have for the 2020 season and in fact, Levi Lewis talked about that right here. Okay, well, okay, apparently it doesn't want to load. I'm going to go ahead and give it a second. This is what happens when you're going live and you think you have the you think you have the magic buttons that can push it, but apparently I do not. So I'm going to go ahead and try and load this up again. But again, the Cajuns have a lot of expectations heading into the 2020 season. After everything they did last year, they have probably the highest expectations they have ever had. They, without a doubt, are playing a little bit of a dangerous game, saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and set up shop and run this bad boy till the wheels fall off because they have every chance to really do some amazing things in 2020. But you've got to realize, and this team realizes, expectations are high. Um, I'll say the expectations are very high. Um, we all know that we got to play assignment football. Um, just execute the plan. Everybody just doing their job, um, being at their best. You know, um, we expect every guy to know what they're supposed to do, the ins and outs. Even even the first, second, third, whoever steps on the field, you got to know your assignment. And that's the way you need to handle this thing. And I think the way he said it was perfect. Levi Lewis has been an, an amazing quarterback. He's It's amazing to see where things are at. But again, He's well aware of the expectations because I think the expectations for the season are higher than they've ever been. That was all before the pandemic changed everything. And I think even now those expectations for this program are high. And if they can get a 12-game season in, I think 11-1 or 12-0 is where people's expectations are. The big key is what they do when they go to beautiful Boone, North Carolina, take on a team called App State with another new head coach after Eli Drinkwitz decided to go to Mizzou. And now he's probably regretting the decision maybe drinking himself under the table. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, this is a team where the expectations are 11-1 and or 12-0 and and getting to a New Year's Bowl. It's going to be tough. It's going to be uphill climb, especially now that you ha don't have 
that Mizzou game. You don't have that Wyoming game. You don't have that New Mexico State game. You don't have those non-conference games, at least as of right now, on paper. I mean, those two games are the other two games are in pen or pencil. Excuse me. The other one is definitely been whited out altogether. And you know, I feel the same way a former coworker did back in 2014 or 2015. Years have blended into each other now in 2020. But either way, I, he felt like this team could have gone undefeated. He, I feel a lot better about that this year than I did back in 2014 or 2015. That this is a year where they have a chance to do something that has never been done before. Mind you, 10 regular season Ws has never happened before either for the Raging Cajuns. But you have someone like Levi Lewis who has grown so much over the last four years. He was thrust at one point into the starting role against South Alabama back in 2017. Again, that was a quarterback carousel unlike any other the final year of HUD. And probably a big reason why they just could not kind of get anything consistent going. And that wasn't the only reason why HUD got fired. But now he's thrown over 3,000 yards. He's become a situational quarterback under Billy Napier's system. They're spreading the ball around. We're seeing an offense be a lot more balanced. And when Levi Lewis wants to hit the Jets, he can hit the Jets. But he's not necessarily all about that part of his game anymore. I think that's definitely the biggest thing that I've noticed in terms of the leap from his first year to the to last year. 2018, he was used every four series for a very specific reason, and it wound up working out really well for this program. To see a guy like Levi Lewis get to that level. And I think it's going to be absolutely huge to see him do relatively the same. The expectations for him are at an all-time high for any Cajuns quarterback, I feel, in recent memory. Probably even Terrence Broadway wouldn't be able to handle those expectations. They're not like Miles Brennan's expectations, but they're still pretty big. Because you think about it, Miles Brennan, the expectations for the fan base, it is through the roof, Jack. Because after you take over for a guy like Joe Burrow, your expectation is to be like that. But here's the thing. You can't have it be like that. He's going to wind up doing well, but it won't be at that level. You just got to deal with that, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this man is going to wind up doing things. And it's all going to matter when it comes to getting it done when it matters the most. Cajuns need to win that game over App State, bottom line. And Levi is the key to that game because if he absolutely proves himself, and we talked with Steve Lass last week, he feels like he could be a key cog in that team winning the Sunbelt Conference overall. All you got to do is beat App State. That's all you got to do. And then you look at the running back group. The expectations for them are sky high as well because of what a guy like Raymond Calais did for the team last year, helping them set a program record in rushing. They were beasts with that three-headed monster, Raymond Calais, Elijah Mitchell, and then you have Trey Regis, that three-headed monster that was an absolute beast, Mitchell and Regis. They're both going to have to have really big years, and they're going to be leaders of a two-headed monster. Now, Chris Smith could be a Hydra, make it, make it that three-headed monster that we talk about all the time with the Cajuns, because he made the most of his opportunities a lot as a redshirt freshman last season, especially in the early games, because he popped up here and there, but he was a lot more of a guy who popped in in garbage time but still put together really great performances, and he stood out as a redshirt freshman last year for the Cajuns. Now, the wide receivers have some lofty expectations, too, with Jamarcus Bradley out, who will take over for that role as wide receiver one. Who's going to be that true wide receiver one for the Cajuns? I think it's going to be former Catholic High New Iberia standout Peter LeBlanc. He definitely deserves to be in that convo. He has been a stud for the Cajuns since day one. 
he can wind up being a monster for that team in 2020. I've seen so many great top plays from LeBlanc like in his first year for the Cajuns alone to make me say he is your number one wide receiver. But I think another player that's going to be interesting to see, and Napier mentioned the fact, Johnny Lumpkin, he's going to be a key cog in that team. He's mentioned it before, but I think the fact that you have a chance to see him get to that other level, I can't wait to see what he does. The fact if he stays healthy, he's going to be a big weapon for the Cajuns this year. But overall, I think the expectations for me are going to be 10 wins and getting a notable bowl game or even the New Orleans Bowl if you win the Sun Belt title. Because that's the biggest thing. It's a lot like what we hear with LSU over the last eight years. Beat Alabama. Alabama is the standard. App State is the gold standard undisputed. Since they came in to the conference back in 2014, 2015, they took over that conference instantly. It's them, Georgia Southern, now Willie Fritz took over at Tulane. They're making some waves in the AAC. But I think the fact that you have App State now continues to be that top dog, there's a chance that if the Cajuns win this one, they are going to wind up having some big things happen. Now, I was hearing somebody, I believe this was earlier in the week on Ben's show, talking about the Cajuns, saying that it was time, like, if Napier leaves, you know they're going to be going back to the, to the bargain bin. I don't think so. Not so fast, my friend. Because I think a big reason why I think that even if Billy Napier leaves, they're, they're going to be okay. And a big reason why I think is because this is going to prove that the Cajuns can be a spot which leads to more success. Leads to more success, be it at the group of five level or the power five level. Be a jump up to the power five level or move yourself up into a better group of five situation like an AAC program or something to that effect. That's where I'm at right now. I think the SEC is going to be where Napier is going to have his tentacles out and see what happens with guys like Will Muschamp, Gus Malzahn, who almost every year is on the hot seat. I don't think Jimbo Fisher's going to be on the hot seat, but it's warming up. But when it comes down to it, he's going to prove that this place has a lot more success rate as opposed to what's happened in the past. Look at the last two head coaches. Ricky Bustle was like a wide receivers coach for Tulane, and then he disappeared off the face of the college football world. And Mark Husbeth, out of the profession as well, mind you, both of them for very different reasons. But this will be the time Napier proves his worth, and also there's an opportunity to grow at the University of Louisiana for the Cajuns as a head coach. You do that, there are going to be a lot of things opening up down the road for a lot of different guys. And, you know, we just look at it from that perspective. Before Napier came over, everybody was saying, you know, why not get this guy, this guy, this guy, like guys who were relatively, I'm just going to call it like I see it. It's not shade. It's just the safe picks. It's like when, you, when you're trying to decide what college you're going to go to. It was the safety school. It was just a safe call to go ahead and say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pick so-and-so. Some of you were even saying a guy like Louis Cook from Notre Dame of Acadia Parish, a hell of a head coach. I love Louis Cook, but I just didn't. I don't think he would have taken that. Tim, People are bringing up Tim Rebo. I think Tim Rebo was too busy building something great at Nichols State, and we see him continuing to do that and taking those steps in the right direction. I just felt like you, know, you could have done better than that and just to go the easy way. Get guys who know the program well enough. I just don't think that was the right that was going to be the right thing to do. Lo and behold, they get Billy Napier, and I can remember that 
that those that entire like three four day span was unreal. Like in my just life in general, those like four or five days was nuts to see everything. And I absolutely love what's going on right now with the Raging Cajuns. And I'm hoping they can wind up getting into a New Year's Bowl, if a New Year's Bowl even happens. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Appreciate you listening to Under the Dome with CD. We got Ross Jackson. He returns to the program today. We'll talk about those Saints at 1230 and a whole lot more with him. But, you know, it's time to get down to what everybody's been talking about over the last 24 hours involving the Conference of Dixie. And, of course, we're talking about something I absolutely loved the conversation concerning what's going on with the scheduling, those new opponents, and we'll break that down next, but in a little bit of a different way. Let's just say that much. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Back after this. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You made your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the wonderful 103.7 The Game studios. Hopefully you enjoyed the show so far. We've had a lot of great fun right now. But, you know, one thing that kind of I had to talk about on the show today was the fact that the SEC decided we're going to go ahead and make a mockery out of the way we're going to reveal our final two conference opponents added to each of the 14 teams in and around the SEC. And it's time to talk about that because I was blown away by the fact they actually did this. Decided to make it into content for the SEC network. Again, I'm with it because, again, what else were they going to air on the network at that time? LSU Clemson for the thousandth time? A rerun of Paul Feinbaum? Hey, Paul, we're going to rerun this four or five times overnight. You know, I'm perfectly okay with the fact you're going to turn that into content for the SEC network. Because guess what? It just means more. But I thought about it. I'm having a little fun with this segment because why the heck not? And we're going we're gonna to make this into a game show, if you will, to look at how all the different SEC programs, the winners, and more importantly, the losers, did a little game show that we're going to call The Schedule is Right. <laughs> LSU, come on down. You're on the schedule. You're on. The schedule is right. Now, Ed Ogeron, you already have South Carolina coming to Death Valley, and now you're going back to Gainesville to take on South Florida. So why don't you come on up and spin the wheel, and as they say, why not make the deal? Oh, my goodness. LSU is going to host Mizzou and travel to Vandy on top of playing South Carolina and Florida. I'm sure you're feeling pretty good right about now, Coach O. Go Tigers. <laughs> How can you not love the fact Coach O excited about the fact his Tigers are going to play Mizzou for the first time since they've joined the SEC and travel back to Vandy for the second straight year? I'm sure he's looking forward to those two cupcake victories. Now we're gonna now we gotta bring out our next contestant. Who we got? Well, we've got the 
Arkansas Razorbacks, a new head coach. Come on down. You're on. The schedule is right. Now you've got two potential toughies in Georgia and Tennessee. Who are kidding? No, never mind. Let me let me rephrase that. So you've moved on from the Chad Morris debacle. So why don't you step up, spin the wheel, and make the deal? Hey, let's see how you did. Oh, that is unfortunate as all get out. The Hogs are playing Georgia and Florida. You know, good luck in 2021, little buddy. You know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a rough uphill climb. So, I mean, I'm sure Arkansas wants to be like you know some other programs and opt out, but don't worry, things will get better for you, hopefully. All right, next up on the schedule is right, Alabama. Come on down. Now you've got two potential tough ones taking on Georgia and Tennessee. Who are we kidding? That third weekend in October. That's going to be a win. We don't know when that game is, but we I mean, presumably you're going to put that thing on October 23rd, that, that third week right before the LSU-Bama game. But we'll, we'll leave that be for the time being. So why not get ready to step on up and do what all these other cats have done so far and spin the wheel, make the deal. Oh, man, would you look at that? You've got Kentucky and Mizzou added to your schedule. Nick, are you even going to lose all year long? I'm not going to, so quit asking. Wait, what was that, Coach? I'm not going to, so quit asking. I have to say that's a bold statement right there from the Nick Tater himself running the SEC and setting himself up quite nicely for a great, Non a great conference schedule. Now that we're going conference only for the first time ever. Oh, we got another contestant on. The schedule is right. Wanna go over to your neighbors in terms of Alabama, the Auburn Tigers. They've already got Kentucky and Georgia on their schedule from the SEC. Now Gus Malzon is gonna be a hot seat year for you. So I think it's definitely time to kind of determine who you're gonna be facing off against. So why not spin that wheel, make the deal? All right, this is a little of a mixed bag here because Tennessee has a lot of hype surrounding them this year. You're going to be playing Tennessee at home in the Plains. I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen over there in Auburn. But then you're going to be playing South Carolina. Will Muschamp on a relative hot seat as well. They're going to be playing LSU. So it seems like South Carolina's got a tough season. But let's see who else they have on their schedule. So let's go over. Let's Let's get our next guest on the schedule is right Mike Leach, come on down. Looks like Lane Kiffin, come on down. Wait, who, who who's the head coach? South Carolina, Will Muschamp, come on down. Whoops, I am all kinds of frazzled right now going through all these teams. But, you know, Muschamp, why don't you spin the wheel, make the deal? All right, you got Ole Miss as your other matchup on the schedule. So Ole Miss going to be taking you on as well as Auburn, but you also got, you know, Texas A&M and LSU. So, you know, I think that might be a little bit of a. All right, we got we got another one to kind of bring up. And, you know, I got to say, we I think we need to get Mizzou to come on down. Oh, wait, I'm getting a note from my producers. And apparently Eli Drinkwitz is drinking under a table right now after finding out that he's going to be playing Alabama inside Brian Denny. 
and also playing the LSU Tigers inside their stadium. But let's face it, Mizzou is having a loss, and I think you know we've got Eli Drinkwitz. I'm, I'm receiving another note from my producers right now, and that is the fact that apparently Eli Drinkwitz is trying to figure out a way to go back to App State because he's realizing, like I'm a Joe Bluth from uh, Arrested Development, he's made a huge mistake. Meanwhile, you look at some of the other SEC matchups. Let's go, let's get him a good old Texas A&M. Jimbo, come on down. Jimbo Fisher, you have been having an interesting first couple of years. The first year you beat LSU for the first time that the SEC has been able to beat. The, in the essence, A&M's joined the SEC beating LSU. He felt pretty good. Then you got your ass handed to you. At Tiger Stadium on senior night. Now, your previously scheduled opponents are Vanderbilt and South Carolina. Pretty easy stuff right there, I would say. It's definitely a fun schedule for those Texas A&M Aggies. Why don't you just spin the wheel and make the deal? Oh, that is that, that's tough right there. Uh, let's, let's kind of pull this up and let's see what you got here. You got Florida and Tennessee. It's kind of bad because you got Florida at Kyle Field, so you got that going for you. But then you got to go head over to Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, when you'll play them is just a million-dollar question. We're going to find out down the road. But, again, there's a lot of intrigue concerning a lot of the schedules around the SEC in terms of these non-divisional opponents you're going to be facing off against. There's going to be fun to be had in terms of the laughter surrounding a lot of these programs. Some other ones that I didn't mention, you got Florida taking on Arkansas, Texas A&M. That's going to be a lot of fun seeing them whip up on Arkansas. And of course, they're going to be hosting LSU at Ole Miss. Georgia is going to have Mississippi State, Arkansas. Hell, I was thinking potentially Georgia was going to have LSU. Because I was hearing rumor in your window that potentially they could have gone with a 2024 schedule, but did not. Overall, I enjoyed the fact that, you know, LSU got a really easy schedule. Georgia's going to be playing Mississippi State, Arkansas. I think Mississippi State's going to be on a down year, year one for Mike Leach. Uh, that's relatively speaking of cupcake playing. Ar- Arkansas is just going to be a beat down. I, it, you just look at it. The top five teams, the three of the top five teams in the SEC that were ranked in the preseason top 25s that came out earlier this week Georgia, Alabama, LSU all got really easy stuff so more power to him he continues to prove that the rich get richer and the poor well you know they're gonna get a lot poorer and it's not gonna be a whole lot of fun to say the least but again i mentioned it earlier in the last hour neil farrell opting out of the 2020 season for the lsu tigers so that that's a that's a big loss for lsu on the defensive front but he, he will be back in 2021 hopefully by then, COVID-19 will be something that we read about on Wikipedia. Or better yet, we read in our history books when we have kids who basically will grow up and they'll see COVID-19 wind up in their history textbooks, whenever that may be. But, you know, enough of talk about that. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and we're going to talk to our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. Talk to him about those New Orleans Saints and so 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 much more you're listening to acadiana's number one sports station 1037 the game and 1037 thegamecom you listen to under the dome with cd
Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 1037, the game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com coming to you live from the 1037 The Game studios. And I got to say, we are looking forward to having on the game hotline right now Ross Jackson, the Locked On Saints podcast and also part of Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what is going on, amigo? Hey, but it's good to talk to you again, man. Hope everything's been going well for you. Uh, things are good here. Just uh, you know, gearing up, getting ready for uh, training camp to actually uh, get started in the next week or so. That's what I was gonna say. It's like because I just feel like you know, it's it's a philosophical question I wanted to start off with. If practice is happening and no one's around to tweet about it, did it happen? <laughs> did it actually happen? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be real strange. I mean, right now it feels sort of like it exists in this. In this kind of nexus, because honestly, it does because of you know the, the COVID guidelines and everything like that. But right now, it's also the they're into what is now called the acclimation period, going into the ramp up period, sort of the slow ramp up, which is all about strength and conditioning, maybe some walkthroughs, things like that. But once we start to get into training camp proper, which will begin on the 17th, which is when you know helmets and you know some some pads will come on over time and everything, we'll start to see a little bit more. And start to hear a little bit more of what we're accustomed to, but it is still going to be different. It's still going to be different because it's going to be a limited amount of reporters that are going to be able to be there, and so and and not the same reporters will be there every day. You know, I was talking with uh, Nick Underhill not so long ago about it, and he was saying that there are probably going to be days to where you know guys are saying, "Hey, I went yesterday. Now you go today." <laughs> like that kind of that kind of sort of exchange amongst all of it, and so it, it will feel different, but it will get a little bit more normal at the same time, if that makes sense, as we get into that sort of uh, full-on ramp-up training camp period. I'd agree with that. And, you know, I think it's just been weird what's going on right now with the Saints. I mean, a couple days ago we found out Caden Ellis and Zach Wood both tested positive. Then it turned out to be a false positive. And it's just it was nuts to see how quickly that report came out and then was reported as a false positive that Caden Ellis, Zach Wood, now they're both taken off the – COVID nineteen reserve list. It was wild. Yeah, it was. A, it was kind of a whirlwind uh, <laughs> the way that, that all went down because you know these are these are guys that the franchise really likes. First of all, um, and and I mean as people, not just as players, but these are guys that the franchise really believes in. I mean, they they gave Zach Wood a four year deal. They drafted uh, Caden Ellis just uh, just a couple just last year before last year's uh, season, and then you know they they look forward to him. He's coming in, in off of rehab and everything all of his ACL tear early in the season. And so these are guys that the team really appreciates, they really like uh, on a personal level, and that they feel like are going to be you know major contributors, particularly Zach Wood on the special teams area. And it's going to be really interesting <clears throat> watching teams balance that, that, that possibility throughout the season because we've now seen it happen with a starting quarterback as well in Matt Stafford. But you know in the special teams area, usually a team doesn't carry a punter or a kicker or a long snapper on the practice squad and only carry one of each on the actual roster. And so if something like that were to happen to a team, you know, a couple days out or even, you know, any type of a pregame test that ends up being administered or anything like that, and then there's that false positive, but then they have to wait to see if there are two negatives because they're not exhibiting any, they're not exhibiting any symptoms. What do you do in your game? And so teams are going to have to start carrying, you know, additional specialists 
or multifaceted specialist, right? A guy that can be a punter, but that can also place kick on the practice squad. I don't think you're going to see them carry on the roster, but it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how that type of stashing gets done for, for players on the roster. I'd have to agree with you. Talk right now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And I think, you know, one of the things we talked about last time was where in the world was was our boy, JT Barrett, just out of, out of nowhere, he's on the Steelers practice squad, and, and he's available again. <laughs> yes, we were both. We both got so excited about it. He's, he's available now. He's on the market. If he gets signed one more time, then he ties Andy Tanner's record of transactions. Oh, wow, I didn't know 29. that. Yeah, he's, he's right there. So if they sign him, he ties the record, and then if they cut him, then he breaks the record. He holds the record at 30 transactions. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out why this isn't happening. Like, I understand, sure, whatever. you got to get ready for the football season. You have to, you know, make sure you get a good look at all your players. But the memes, New Orleans, the memes, like, get after it. There's one guy out there. You get him signed one more time and then just cut him. And then all of a sudden you've got a new, you've got a new franchise record. I don't understand why we're slacking on this. <laughs> you got you got a whole new franchise record, and you know it's just it's it's the most hilarious thing in the world about how like <laughs> like right away it was like the I think like not no more than a week after we we talked it's right. like oh hey J T Barrett released from the Steelers practice squad or the Ross was like <laughs> did not realize that was a thing right <laughs> you've got you know you've got a, a whole bunch of us right now particularly those of us that populate Saints Twitter that are standing there rolling our arms around in a circle like a third base coach going, go, 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 go get him. <laughs> like, we, we really just want to see it happen, man. <laughs> uh, we hope so. And I'm like looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with him wherever he goes. Hopefully mm-hmm. he makes his way to the New Orleans Saints. But, you know, one other thing that I, that I noticed is now we're, we're getting to camp. We're hearing a lot of the players talk. Emmanuel Sanders spoke yesterday. What, what was your biggest takeaway from his time with the press yesterday? There was actually two. There were two really big ones that I really enjoyed. Um, the first one that I'll say is just his dedication to this team immediately. Apparently, the Saints didn't really go out and pitch to him and his agent. He and his agent went to New Orleans because that's where he wanted to be. And we know, you know, we've heard the story earlier that his grandmother played a big role in that. She wanted him to go to New Orleans and everything like that. And you got to listen to grandma. You have to. And so you got to listen to it. And so, um, you know, he actually pursued and his agent pursued that placement. So that's fantastic to hear. And as a part of that, you also heard him talk a bit about how, you know, his goal with the Saints is to win a Super Bowl for Drew Brees. That's what he wants to do. He wants to win for that guy, he said. So I, I think that's a really, really cool piece. And then to the, the, the second thing, which ties into the Drew Brees relationship, is that the, the new wide receiver that was signed after Cole Wick and Jason Vanderlaan opted out, the Saints signed linebacker Nigel Bradham, and they signed wide receiver Benny Fowler. Benny Fowler played with the Denver Broncos. Uh, he caught, actually, the last pass that Peyton Manning threw in his career, even though it was a two-point conversion, so you're not going to find it on a stat sheet anywhere. But technically, he caught Peyton Manning's last pass. Then he played with Denver for another year, and then he went on to uh, the, the New York Giants and has been with the Giants over these past couple of seasons. Well, Emmanuel Sanders actually brought Benny Fowler to a workout with Drew Brees along with him. And apparently, whatever that relationship was that started to formulate between Drew Brees and Benny Fowler was strong enough that Benny Fowler ended up with a deal <laughs> with the New Orleans Saints. And Benny Fowler is a pretty interesting wide receiver because he's a speedster. At, you know, he's got that 4-4, uh, I think very low 4-4. He might even be the high 4-3. I can't remember, but extremely fast player regardless, right? Faster than me, that's for sure. And then Same he, here. 
Yeah, right. And then, but you're used to, you know, the Ted Ginn Jr. build for a guy like that to be, you know, five foot ten, a little bit under two hundred pounds. And while Denny Fowler might might weigh in at a little under five hundred, I'm sorry, at a little under a uh, hundred, a little under two hundred pounds. Excuse me. Um, he weighs, you know, his he's in at like six foot one. So he's a big bodied guy that can be a red zone presence, but that also has some deep speed to him as well. But doesn't have to rely on it because of his build. Plays in the slot, plays in the outside. So that was another thing that I thought was interesting with Emmanuel Sanders saying, hey, I really wanted to sign in New Orleans, and then also putting somebody else in a position to where the networking worked out, and then he ends up getting a shot as well. And, Ross, you know, one of the big things that I'm just was obviously, honestly blown away by was how open and honest Drew Brees was during his conference call last Saturday morning. I didn't even know mm-hmm. it was happening, and all of a sudden I just see quotes on Twitter, him being open and honest about everything that happened back in June. We're not going to get into that, but... I think what was more interesting was the fact that he mentioned that he hasn't licked his fingers in four months. <laughs> Did not realize that was that big of a problem for him. Yeah, he was saying that he was doing because he was saying that there were times to where it was conscious, right? Like before before he took the snap, licked fingers, get the tack, you know, that makes sense. But he noticed too that there were times where he would throw a pass down the field and then it would be caught, and then while he was running up after the play he would lick his fingers again and he was kind of sitting there going why am i doing that like there's no reason for me to do it there and so he realized that it ended up becoming something that you know we all kind of do it and we've all kind of had to work our way out of it at this time in certain aspects right like licking your fingers to turn a page or to open a bag or something like that like sometimes that kind of stuff happens but for him he was apparently doing it for almost, you know, just for things that he didn't realize that he was doing it for. And so with the help of Brittany, his wife, uh, he's able, he's been able to sort of work his way out of that, that routine. Uh, and maybe, you know, a damp towel or sweat or something like that, as he mentioned, will sort of be the, uh, will be the uh, sort of substitute for it and everything. But he has worked his way out of it in the midst of, you know, COVID football. That's, of course, very important. And so it'll uh, be interesting to see what he ends up creating as a substitution. But funny that it was that much of an it, not issue, but that much of a habit for him that he didn't even realize he was doing it. I mean, it's so weird. It's like, you know, I, I don't think I've ever, like, licked my fingers just for the purposes of that. I, it's more basically if I'm eating some chicken, basically, you yeah, had the grease. It's like, <laughs> which, which made me think, like, I was, I was texting a friend after I saw that quote. Does that mean KFC needs to change their, logo, change their slogan in 2020? Because, I mean, that doesn't oh. necessarily seem, like, ideal. That's a really good point. Don't need to just change it to finger washing good or something <laughs> just, to pr- just, just to promote hand washing. Yes, exactly. 20-second <laughs> hand washing good, KFC. K- KFC, hit me up. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out something. <laughs> we'll get it worked out for you. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we had him uh, unprompted to Louis Prejean just a little while ago, and he a- actually mm-hmm. posed a question. Of, all, of the two players he thought about in terms of opting out, who would be the bigger loss? Would it be Cam Jordan or Marshawn Lattimore? Ooh, ooh, that's tough. I'm gonna okay. It's gonna be a little bit of off the field conversation as well, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say Cam Jordan. Yes. And the, the the reason that I say Cam Jordan is because he a his his play immediately affects the opposing quarterback, right? Um, his play immediately affects the quarterback. He is somebody that the quarterback can't make a decision to work against anyway or work opposite of anyway. Marshall Lattimore can be, quote-unquote, taken out of a game by simply not targeting him, which isn't helpful for an offense, but you can make decisions. You can game plan around a cornerback. It's a little bit tougher to game plan around, you know, a 270-pound guy that is going to relentlessly fight to bring you to the ground and beat you up every day. And so I think it's like that that particular moment. 
And then also, or element rather, and then the other thing is just that his leadership. I mean, you, look, Marcus Davenport did a conference call with us yesterday as well, or a Zoom call with us yesterday. And part of what he talked about was how much his goal is to just be better than Cam Jordan. And so that type of motivating factor, that type of mentorship, and Cam Jordan was stoked about it. He loved it. You know, he was out there retweeting um, the pieces that were sharing it, talking about how that's the type of leadership that he likes to see and everything. He calls the defensive line, my guys, like he's very much a guy that will take ownership of the defense and be a leader for that. He's the Drew Brees, essentially, of that defense. So that's the reason why I think losing him to an opt-out would be would be tougher to deal with than losing Marshawn Lattimore. Also, add the fact that I'm, uh, his hair is resplendent right now, looking like I'm a uh, Randy Randy Watson from uh, Coming to America. Randy Watson, <laughs> sexual chocolate. <laughs> the memes from that oh, were amazing. Man, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It was it was uh, the best part. He's been like, and, and you know, I love how they showed like an evolution of his like picture day <laughs> shots. It's am- yeah. like some of them are just absolutely wild. <laughs> it further proves why oh, Cam man. Jordan is like one of my favorite players on this current roster because he just he's a bundle of fun. Like he just feels like a guy that you'd probably just laugh laugh with for like hours. Yeah, I mean he's he's everything. He's everything that you look for in an NFL player, and, and particularly a defensive NFL player. He's somebody that's always interested in himself and his team expanding, growing, and getting better. You'll hear him after a four sack game going, "Yeah, thanks. I should have had five. I should have had six." Like, you'll hear him talk about himself that way and challenge himself to improve, challenge the guys around him to improve, but also not do it in such a way that he's considered a pariah amongst the locker room. He's somebody that is also having a ton of fun that people love to be around. The, the press and the media love him. The guy has a career in broadcasting after he's, oh, after he's done playing football. There's no doubt about that. But he, he just checks all the boxes, and not a lot of players around the NFL do. He's one of those guys. I have a piece coming out over at Canal Street Chronicles here soon about Teddy Bridgewater and how it doesn't matter what team you're a fan of, you're a Teddy Bridgewater fan. I think that Cam Jordan could be one of those other players that any fan base around the NFL can appreciate a guy like Cam Jordan, except for when he's tackling your quarterback. I'd have to agree with you there, Ross. And, you know, before I let you go, it's like I, I, we're, we're doing something really cool in, in the next few weeks is putting together a Madden tournament to determine who the best Madden player is in the Acadiana area. What are your yeah. Madden skills like? Oh, they're terrible. They're horrible. <laughs> they're oh my goodness. <laughs> they're horrible. I understand the concepts. I know when to call what kind of plays, how to respond to personnel groups, the usual football stuff. But I am one of those guys to where call me Stefan Anthony when I put uh, when when I put a PS4 controller and Xbox controller in my hand. I can understand a little bit of the concepts, but when it comes to execution, I'm just going to run around like my hair is on fire. Oh, I mean, it's it's more for me, like, on the defensive side of the football. I am absolutely god-awful at But when it comes to, you know, obviously handling, you know, I'd say defense, I mean, offense, especially because I mainly just play as the Saints, I know exactly what I need to do. Just basically throw quick slants. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Every I time, Michael be- Thomas. Yeah, right, exactly. That's my thing. I would be sort of um, – I would be Stephon Anthony on defense would be my Madden player comp, and then maybe Jake Fromm on offense would be my player comp. Oh, how, because... dare, you, how dare you dump on Jake Fromm like that? <laughs> Fine, I'll say Jacob Eason. How about that? <laughs> I'm cool with that, man. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you later. Absolutely, brother. Take care, man. Be safe. All right, Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ross Jackson Nola. We're going to wrap up the show next. Got one final take, and it's going to be a good one because I honestly have been wanting to talk about this all show long, but I saved it 
for the end. For the people. We're going to take a quick time out. Be back with more after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. August has been an outstanding month already. We have sports back in our lives with the MLB, NHL, and NBA all in full swing. Cajuns back in training camp and everything in between. And yeah, we're seeing reports come out about the potential end of the postponement of college football amongst all conferences, but, you know, or just in general. We'll see on that. I'm not listening to that. I'm just going to be pumping positivity into your brains. And then there was, you know, the sports Christmas tree had one more present in there for me. And that was the XFL. It's back. It got bought out earlier this week by the Brody beating, la, 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 pie eating, trailblazing, eyebrow raising, heart stopping, elbow dropping, electrifying football. So know your role and shut your mouth. The most electrifying man in sports entertainment, the people's champ, The Rock, decided, oh, hey, I'm going to go ahead and buy the XFL on with my ex-wife, Danny Garcia. More power to you for getting that done. But I have to say, this is amazing. The XFL has a third chance, finally, and with probably one of the most powerful stars in the world, both literally and in sense of star power. Look at any movie that he makes now, makes millions of and millions and hundreds of millions and millions of dollars. So seeing the XFL get another opportunity is great. But I've got some hope for it. Because I think XFL 3.0 has an opportunity, because it's not run by Vince McMahon, who's hard-headed as all get out, to have this XFL become a G League of sorts for the NFL. So you have an opportunity to survive for longer than one season. I think the XFL had at least two years of shelf life and a pandemic was what it took for the league to this to fold this go round. I think there was ample opportunity for the XFL to succeed. Based off of all we saw, the ratings were good. The way they were presenting the games was innovative as all get out, showing the game, showing the spreads and everything. So I think XFL's third chance, maybe it's like a cat has nine lives, but this third opportunity, I think, is a great chance to see the XFL become a G League of sorts for the NFL and give us what we really want what we really, really want, and that is spring football. It's a thing that needs to happen, and the XFL coming back is a first step towards that. And having someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson involved in this makes you intrigued. So what's going on with the future of a league that has died twice? James Bond used to say you only live twice. Well, guess what? They've died twice, and they're back again a third time. Appreciate everybody for listening in for Coming on the program, Ian Castleberry, the comeback. Appreciate him coming on the program. And also a guy, Ross Jackson, all Saints considered locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. Great talking to him. Great talking to you on this Saturday afternoon. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your weekend. we got Astros coming up, 235 pregame, 310 first pitch. Peace. We out.